Lord Almighty, King of the universe, we come today rejoicing to be in Your presence. We come today rejoicing to be in the presence of Your Word. God, I pray that You would be pleased to remove from us those things that would distract us from hearing Your Word. I pray that You would cause our hearts and our minds to concentrate on Your Word, on Your grace to shape us and mold us and make us to be the men and women You've created us to be. Bless us, King Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. Amen. One of my absolute fears is that my family would turn against me. That I would be accused of something that I didn't do, or that I would in fact do something that would bring great shame. These are also my fears when I allow my heart to turn away from the promises of God. But to have my family turn against me, this is my greatest fear. And this fear is exactly what King David lived. His son Absalom turned against his father and began a rebellion that very nearly succeeded. So close to succeeding, in fact, that David had to flee Jerusalem. He had to get out of Dodge. Now, we can't say with certainty at this point whether it was a good idea for him to flee or not, to abdicate his throne or not. He did, in fact, abdicate. He did leave his throne unprotected and got away to relative safety. But David's God did not abdicate. Your God, King Jesus, did not abdicate. The Lord will not abdicate His throne, nor will He fret and fume and stew about the troubles we face. Instead, Jesus can be trusted to use our troubles for His glory, for our ultimate joy, and for the growth of His kingdom. We see that among many places in 1 Corinthians 2.9. As it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. What God has prepared for those who love Him is so great, we can't even begin to imagine it. Even with all of the input of Scripture, we're only scratching the surface. And what we learn today in Psalm 3 is that you and I can rest in our times of trouble. Our psalm today is designed to enable us to weather the storms of life so that we will rest. So that we won't fret and stew and worry, but we will know God better through the path of suffering, and therefore we will love Him and trust Him more. Let's see this in action in King David's Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, 
are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and He answered me from His holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord! Save me, O my God! For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Our psalm today breaks uh, easily down into four sections of two verses. And these contain a very clear, logical progression laying out exactly for us how you and I should approach our troubles in light of the fact that the King of the universe is a very personal God who gives attention to His children. And because this is true, you can rest in your times of trouble. Now here, in the first two verses of our psalm, we meet David's enemies. We see David's fears. We see his troubles. And David gives a very general description of what these troubles are so that you and I, the readers, may apply the comfort that he received from Yahweh to our own struggles, to our own troubles and fears, which are likely never going to include that we have to abdicate a throne because of a murderous son. But let's see what he says in verses 1 and 2. O Lord, Yahweh, personal creator, king of the universe, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. David has enemies. In fact, everyone who loves and serves and trusts God's will have enemies. This is exactly what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? You will be persecuted. One of my duties in these last days is to prepare you for that. One of your duties is to allow your heart to be prepared, to rejoice at being counted worthy for suffering for the name. When you face fears and troubles and trials, take them to Jesus. Don't stew in your own juices. Go to Jesus. Don't keep running that tape over and over in your mind. Look how I've been mistreated. It's not fair. It's not fair. But don't drag yourself down with doubts and bitterness and fears. Go to Jesus. Listen, my friends. God is sovereign. Therefore, we pray. God is in control. Nothing is outside of God's control. Therefore, pray. Some will say, look, if God is sovereign, if God is in control, therefore we shouldn't pray. Do we think we're going to change God's mind? We're going to give God some advice or tell Him something we don't know? <laughs> wow, that would be arrogant. No, not at all. We don't give God information. We don't give God advice. But we do pray. 
Why should we pray? Well, number one, God commands us to pray. David, a man after God's own heart, prayed. And God tells us that our prayers is one of the means, one of the instruments that he uses to cause what he wants to happen to happen. But number two, God is the king of the universe. God is sovereign. He is in control. And because he is in control, he's the only one worth praying to. He is the one person in the universe that can do something about our prayers. So, pray. God loves you. And he wants you to pray so that you can rest in your times of troubles. My friends, listen. The only way you will rest is if you trust God's promises enough to pray. Stop making excuses. Pray. Get on your knees. Pray. Humble yourself and make time to pray. And when you pray, you will rest. Now we're going to switch gears here. As we move forward in this psalm, we need to give a working definition of faith because that's what's going on in this Psalm 3. What does it mean to trust the promises of God for you in Christ? Now, our church fathers have given us a definition of faith that it contains three elements. Number one, we need to have a specific set of biblical facts. It does no good to say we love Jesus if we're not talking about the biblical Jesus. There are facts, and more specifically, there are promises that we must trust if we are going to have biblical faith. And number two, we need to appropriate those facts. We need to appropriate the facts that the Bible tells us. We need to believe that Jesus loves people. But it isn't enough to say Jesus loves people. I must believe that Jesus loves me. I have to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is for me in the midst of my struggles. That the almighty God of the universe is working for my good and will never leave me nor forsake me. Otherwise, I don't have biblical Faith. And number three, we need to trust these facts and promises. If I believe Jesus loves me, but then I act like I need to earn his love through my behavior, then I'll never be able to enjoy him. God will always be for me a slave driver. In fact, it's worse than that. Because I will believe things that are untrue of God and therefore I will undercut the whole activity of faith right from the beginning. Instead, if I trust the promise of God, for example, never to leave me nor forsake me, then I will respond to whatever troubles I am going through with a whew, relieved joy. I will rest I will know that I know that God is good. I will celebrate my deliverance and I will give God glory by singing to Him. Singing glory to God exactly like King David does right here in Psalm 3. Now, whether David intended something like a description of biblical faith here in Psalm 3 or not isn't the point. 
What is the point is that this psalm is a fantastic example of what it means to hold particular facts before your mind and your heart and then appropriate those facts and promises into your life and then move forward in trust. Hmm. I wonder, did maybe God have something in mind like that even if David didn't? Well, I think so. In verses 3 and 4, David rehearses the promises of God that were won for him and for us on the cross of Christ. These are the facts, they are the truths that we need to trust and bet our life on no matter what happens. So here are a couple elements of biblical faith. We need to rehearse the facts. We need to rehearse and remind ourselves of the promises of God. Verses 3 and 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You, O Lord, are my glory. You, O Lord, are the lifter of my head. Three promises right there. I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill. There's an implied fourth promise just in those two verses. We see that the personal Creator King of the universe is my shield. The personal creator king of the universe protects me personally from harm. Not, by the way, from hurt. But he shields me from everything that would ultimately harm me. Everything that would ultimately destroy my faith. And this glorious promise is echoed throughout Scripture, including in Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who put their trust in Him. We also find here in these two verses that the personal Creator King of the universe, Yahweh, is the lifter of my head. He honors me. The Lord is great, and the Lord is gracious. And we see this verse is rich in faith-building promises. But two points here deserve special attention because they're better than most in their power to create faith out of nothing. And the first is where David says, The Lord is my glory. Now there are at least two ways to take this phrase, both of which are true. The first one is, the Lord is the one I glory in. That's where we should begin. The Lord is what I value. The Lord is what is most important to me, and the Lord is the one that I praise the most. The person who has this heart is the one who will find happiness and joy in the Holy Spirit. Instead of setting our hearts on the things of this world, we set our hearts on things that are eternal and are of eternal value. Now, how does reading this verse like this build my faith? Well, in one sense, this is exactly what faith is. Faith is trusting God's promises. Faith is this looking at God and seeing Him as perfectly trustworthy, as holy, beautiful, and as supremely valuable. And to the extent that you and I are thinking these thoughts, trustworthy, beautiful, 
valuable. To the extent that we are thinking these thoughts, to that extent we are trusting and loving and hoping in Him, my friends, that is faith. That is what faith is in its essence. Now there is another true way of looking at this phrase, and this is also faith building. The second one is, the Lord prepares me for glory. In other words, for reasons that escape us at the moment, we don't get them yet. God intends to make us glorious. Bear with me for a moment. Human beings are already glorious. And those who right now glory in God, the first definition that we just said, those of us who glory in God will be made more glorious. We see this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord, looking at the glory of the Lord, noticing how beautiful and trustworthy and valuable He is, are being transformed into the same image. What image? The image of the Lord. From one degree of glory, the, the, the degree of glory that all human beings share, to another the glory that will be given to us. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Sam Storms beautifully puts this together. And he says, Sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, comes only as or only because we behold the glory of God. Apart from seeing that God is perfectly trustworthy, holy, beautiful, and supremely valuable, there is no becoming. There is no glory that will be given to us. And Paul says we will be transformed into the image of the glorious Lord, God the Son. God the Lord is my glory. And when David says that, he is amazingly right, even though he couldn't see it probably. Well, maybe he could. But then the question is, how? How are we being changed from this normal human glory that every single person you have ever met has to the glory of the redeemed humanity? Paul explains. He says it comes through suffering. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For this light momentary affliction. What light momentary affliction, Paul? Oh, you mean all those beatings you took? You mean the stonings that you took? The shipwrecks that you took? All of that? This momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Suffering. Suffering. Exactly what David is going through when he wrote this psalm. David's trials cause more glory, more likeness to Christ. (laughs) Maybe one application of this psalm is that you pray for more trials, that you pray for more troubles, that you pray for more sufferings. Do you have that much trust in the promises of God? Don't miss this. This is one of the themes of Scripture. And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to go and we're going to start in on the Gospel of Mark. 
And one of the things that we will find as we get to the Gospel of Mark is that one of the major themes of the Gospel is that God means for His people for glory. God means His people for glory. And we will find at the same time that the only road that actually makes it to glory is called suffering. Troubles. Trials. Now, how does this reading help us build our faith? Faith in this sense is essentially future-oriented. Gratitude is faith-oriented towards the past. Love is faith-oriented towards our present time. And hope in what God has promised He will do is faith-oriented towards the future. Even though that future is only attained by walking the road of suffering. That road will end. And its end is glory. Glory, as we just read a moment ago, that's beyond anything we can imagine. Now, I have another question. How did David get this perspective? How did David understand this? What did David do to gain this perspective on suffering and troubles so that he would, in fact, be rewarded with sanctification, with becoming more like Jesus, with glory? It's easy. He prayed. Here's faith building point number two from these verses. The Lord has heard my prayer. First and foremost, after verses 1 and 2 where David lays out his complaint, he turns to prayer. David calls you to prayer. Lay out your complaint before the Lord. Why? Because laying out your troubles to God is trusting Him. Laying out your troubles to God is the way that you show yourself dependent upon Him. Praying is the way of saying, God, I need you. God has always loved a desperate soul. Praying is saying to God, I want what only you have. I trust you, Lord, more than my own resources. And when I lay out my troubles to God, when I am trusting Him to provide for me as opposed to my own resources, only then am I able to rest in my times of trouble. Rest in my times of trouble. Listen, my friends, pray. Pray what's in your heart. Pray about what you're going through. Don't think to yourself, what would Pastor Greg or some other person in your head want me to pray? Don't think like that. Pray where God has you right now. How do we do that? Use Scripture as a guide to prayer. Use Psalm 3 as a guide to prayer. Begin by going through this psalm idea by idea and see where these scriptural ideas lead you as you bring your troubles before your Lord. God will hear you and you will know that you are heard because you are repeating his ideas back to him. And when you know that you are heard by the personal creator, king of the universe, you will rest while suffering intense pain, frustration, embarrassment, fear, 
When we get to verse 5 and 6, King David expresses great confidence. This is where David appropriates the facts. He trusts the promises of God's involvement that are available to him and to all of God's children. So the elements of biblical faith here are that we must appropriate the facts, the promises of God. We see this in verses 5 and 6. David says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves up against me all around. David, who was pursued by his murderous son, lay down and slept. <laughs> that, my friends, is what we call appropriating the promises of God for us in Christ. Laying down and sleeping remains an expression of tremendous faith to this day. And David tells us why we can sleep. He says, the Lord sustains me. Sustains me? What? Food, water, oxygen? Yes. But David, you have someone trying to kill you. Yeah, he knows. Which is why he adds, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. I will not be troubled by those who seek to persecute those who love Jesus. Pay attention to this. David struggled in ways that we have not yet suffered. David knew what it meant to suffer persecutions and trouble. And he went to sleep. You too can rest in your times of troubles. When persecution comes, you need to know you can rest in Jesus. Prepare yourselves now by knowing Jesus better. Use this time in quarantine in order to know Jesus better. Read the Gospels, a chapter a day. Because as you know Jesus better, you will therefore love him and trust him more. And then, don't worry about persecution. It's coming, but it's not here yet. Just relax, because each day has enough trouble of its own. No also, that those who are persecuted for Christ, Matthew tells us in Matthew 5, that we will flourish and we will be rewarded. My friends, why should you be threatened with heaven by those who hate you and because they hate Jesus? Now, I'm going to say, none of this means that David didn't do everything he could to solve his problems. But in doing everything, his first job was not to set up a guard all around. His first job was to pray. Then set up the guard. Because when you rely on an army, you get what an army can do. But when you rely on prayer, you get what God can do. So know Jesus better. So you will love him and trust him more. And lastly... In David's psalm, we see an expression of faith. We see a demonstration that he in fact trusts God's promises for him in Christ. And in verse 7 and 8, David decidedly moves forwards. He will rest. He will trust in the promises of God. We see here the elements of biblical faith are to move forward in the facts and promises of God. Verse 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. David knew God's provision. 
David knew that God would defend him. Now you have to know something else. David was in a particular position historically different than you and me. David was God's anointed king. So when David was attacked, God was attacked politically and militarily. And so he could call upon God to fight against his enemies, who were therefore also God's enemies. But the Apostle Paul tells us that our warfare is different. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not swords. But they have divine powers to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments on every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to obey Christ. Do not expect God to, to bless a violent response. Instead, expect God to strengthen you to speak truth. Now, it's truth that may or may not be heard by the enemies of God. But again, that's not your responsibility. And because it's not your responsibility, you can rest in your times of troubles. So speak the truth. Tell and live the facts and promises of God in love. Because love is the joyful willingness to sacrifice for the good of the beloved. Love is what distinguishes Christian fighters from the fighters of the world. Love is what makes our arguments undefeatable for those who have ears to hear. First and foremost, let yourself be known as one of Jesus' representatives by your love. Your faith, your trust that he will provide for you now in the midst of your troubles that both you and your near one's faith will overflow in a joyful willingness to sacrifice for the good of your near ones. Then, and only then, will you give a reason for the hope that is within you. Psalm number three is what is known as an individual lament. David says, I've got problems, and because I have problems, I will call upon Yahweh to deliver me. Now, what's remarkable about this particular lament is that it is brimming with confidence and hope. David, in the midst of his most trying times, the most trying of times possible, his own son trying to murder him, sings a song of praise and confidence in the promises of Yahweh, and then he goes and takes a nap. We see this because in verses 1 or 2, David describes his enemies very generally because he wants you to be able to see yourself in this psalm. He wants you to be able to see your troubles and take them back to the Lord because David has given you confidence and hope. And then in verses 3 and 4, David rehearses. He reminds himself. He preaches some specific promises of God for him. And he tells his heart, refocuses his heart on the facts of the situation. God is in control and God loves me. This is what is truly true in spite of what your enemies and your fears are saying to your heart. And then in verses 5 and 6, David expresses confidence. 
God is for me. And he is specifically appropriating the truth of these promises of God for him. Yes, this is true right here, right now. And then lastly, in verses 7 and 8, David trusts those promises and he moves forward in his life with confidence. What we see in Psalm 3 is faith. What we see in Psalm 3 is a courageous declaration. Though David may abdicate, Yahweh will not. Though you will fail, you will abdicate love and trust to Jesus. King Jesus will not. You may, you will, fail in your trust in the Lord, but the Lord will not fail to keep His promises for you in Christ. And you can rest in that. You can take those promises to the bank. Better than that, you can take those promises to your bed and have a good night's sleep. Rest in your times of troubles. Lord, we need you. We need your undeserved power to accomplish your kingdom purposes in us and through us and for us and our near ones so that we can rest. Give us to know you better and therefore love you and trust you more so that we can rest and so that our near ones can see this and rejoice and bring glory to you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.